0: Hey guys, it's Cenk. We dug up this interview from a few years back and we thought you will really enjoy it. So take a listen. All right, how's this for a fun conversation? Uh, Young Turks talks to Russell Brand, what is this? Now usually people say, now here's a guy who needs no introduction and then they give a 30 minute introduction. Okay, no, Russell Brand doesn't require an introduction, so here he is. Uh, Russell, how you doing, brother?
1: Today I feel really, really well, nice to talk to you, Cenk.
0: Uh, Great to talk to you as well, man. So I noticed that you've been attacking uh, hosts like Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity on uh, your uh, YouTube channel, uh, which I rather love. Uh, so um, I, I think the question is what motivates you, right? So you're over there in, in Great Britain, I assume in London, and why? Why get animated about what's happening in Ferguson, Missouri? Why get animated by what Bill O'Reilly or Sean Hannity says?
1: I suppose when you do a job like you or i do jenk you start to notice familiar and repetitive narratives patterns that are repeated in the news media and then you start to notice characters that are telling those stories the story of of exempting powerful institutions from blame and condemning victims is one that prevails in the ferguson reporting on institutions like Fox News and with Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly I've kind of gone round the circle of condemnation come back to actually quite liking them now you know there's (laughs) like you know Bill O'Reilly's such a curmudgeon he seems like he's a man living in his own hemorrhoids and Sean Hannity has such a sort of chirpy hatred for the vulnerable that I kind of like him
0: it's weird. <laughs> no, I, I don't know about the Hannity part because his hatred of the powerless uh, does bother me. But yeah, Bill O'Reilly, I'm with you on. He's big Papa Bear and he's so full of himself that he's unintentionally hilarious. I don't know if you ever saw him get mad that uh, when somebody said he didn't uh, go to any wars, he said, I covered four wars with a pen. I am still trying to decipher what that means <laughs> but they are characters but, but at the same time you know they they do affect the stories that we hear so that's a really powerful way of putting it and they put out this you know this alternate story in America where the powerful always right I thought one of the, the videos you made that was really powerful was about when you talked about these guys who are invested in protecting the status quo so tell me a little bit more about that uh, do you think that that's the part of the point of Fox News yes i consider
1: fox news to be part of the establishment's propaganda arm i don't imagine this is explicitly organized but that isn't really relevant what i understand and recognize is that fox news's agenda is completely in alignment with the establishment's agenda fox news's messages this is the way things are, this is the way things are meant to be. If there are problems, it's because of the disadvantaged and the dispossessed. They never draw attention to the powerful because those are their interests. They will never say, oh, this corporation is exploiting through tax evasion or the imposition of erroneous laws or practices that are detrimental to the planet, those stories are not interesting to Fox News. They only want to convey a narrative that protects the interests of the powerful.
0: So right now I assume you're pretty well off of I me. Mean, you've done well in movies and other ways. Why not uh, say hey you know the status quo is not so bad for me. <laughs> Have at it Hawks. Fox News go ahead and protect away.
1: Well, I suppose that in a way I have done that and I am complicit in the establishment by virtue of my financial participation in huge media conglomerates, but What I've personally experienced is a a degree of disillusionment and dissatisfaction that I didn't anticipate when I was a kid, when I bought into these ideas. I thought, oh, the reason I feel sort of empty and lost is not just because of poverty, but also because of a kind of empty anonymity. And the constant spectacle of this kind of glistening and wonderful world that seemed extremely appealing to me and I suppose I wanted to participate in that the reason I don't do it is the same reason I don't take heroin anymore those drugs don't work these systems don't work these ideas aren't truthful
0: so that's really interesting because I think America as well as probably the whole world is obsessed with fame and celebrity and they think that that is the pinnacle that if you if you get to be famous that's just the greatest thing in the world so what what's been your experience with it what why, why are you now that you've lived it what what's the downside or why is it not as fulfilling as you thought it would be
1: Because I think we are sold certain ideas that are merely avatars for salvation and redemption I I personally felt that oh, if I'm famous I'll have power and people will desire me and I'll be cool and then look through fortune, endeavor, through whatever, I became famous, and I thought, oh no, this doesn't resolve this spiritual malady at the core, and furthermore, it allowed me into environments where I saw the machinations and function of that system, and I thought, oh, this isn't fair, this isn't beautiful. So given that we have this finite time on the planet, I thought, don't continue to pretend to be excited about ideas that consumed you as a child, uh, evolve.
0: If it isn't the answer, right, and you care about fighting back against the injustices that you perceive through the establishment, certainly that's what the Young Turks is about. So how do we do it? How how do we fight back against uh, the powerful for, not randomly, I mean you don't have to fight against everything, (laughs) the powerful are in favor of, but to correct the injustices that we see in society?
1: I like to r- recall the and nitsen quote, the line between good and evil does not run between nations, religions or creed, but through every human heart. To recognize that in myself I have egotism and selfishness, so I can't condemn Fox News or Bill O'Reilly for traits that I have in myself. I can just be humorous and mock that kind of mm, corruption in myself as I would mock it in them. The ego, in a sense, is a manufactured structure that imprisons the goodness inside us as individuals, and so I, if I find humor in my own corruption, in my own stupidity, then I feel qualified to do it in where I see it with Fox News or the Apple corporation, and to accept that we can 't be perfect as well, this is a, you know, i 'm using Apple products now, but that doesn 't mean i 'm going to universally accept tax evasion or avoidance from Apple or my belief that they make products deliberately expire. Yeah, you know, I'm going to make jokes about that kind of stuff. So what I'm saying, Jake, is to remain humorous and to remain light, to treat these things like, you know, if what you're good at is comedy or insight or analysis, whatever it is, then do it for the right reason. I'm not doing anything different than I was doing when I was on MTV. I'm just now differently motivated, I suppose.
0: It's almost countering their storytelling with our storytelling, and at least have it be a, an open battle. And I remember the days when it was not. In American media, conservatives dominated uh, almost exclusively before Keith Oberman turned MSNBC in a more progressive direction. I think in a lot of ways they still dominate. So to that point, what's your sense of the American media versus the British media? And you, you know, conservatives here say, "Oh, it's it's liberal." Is that the sense you have, or is it the exact opposite?
1: No. I think the reason that people say that the media is liberal is to preemptively prevent true liberalism emerging. I think if you say, oh, the media is so liberal and pro-homosexuals and pro-lefties, then there's a kind of nervousness about promoting ideas of equality and unity and togetherness. The media is an extremely conservative institution. I've been on that MSNBC before. It is an extremely conservative idea. The, uh, the way that the arguments are framed allows debate in a tiny, tiny circumference. No one is saying, hey, don't vote for Republican or democratic parties, instead devolve power so that the ordinary people have power over their own lives. Take the money out of politics, otherwise you have a political system that only represents corporations. The democratic process as is, is redundant. All of us sort of quibble about superficial ideas. Oh, this guy will pass this bill. And no, no one's saying that, oh, it's not great that there's additional health care. But I think we need to be more ambitious in what our understanding of change is.
0: Yeah, w- wait a minute now. Uh, I was saying get money out of politics and I was on MSNBC. And Dylan Radigan was saying get money out of politics and he was on MSNBC. Oh, yeah. oh wait a minute. What happened to both of us? Oh, we're not on MSNBC anymore. (laughs) So there's that. Um, So um, let me ask you a broad question. I I know it's kind of funny, but um, but I am genuinely curious. What's your views on America overall?
1: I I lived in America a a long time. I've got a lot of friends that American. American counterculture is the most exciting culture in the world. Normally has been. Richard Pryor, Bill Hicks, Bob Dylan, Jazz, like all of these incredible movements come out of American counterculture, but perhaps because it exists in opposition to a dominant corporate culture. So, like, I love American people. I've spent a lot of time in America. I've driven right across America. It's one of the great countries in the world. But I suppose it's difficult to extract America from the manner in which it was claimed and the manner in which it was built the same as with britain a country built on colonialism fevery and violence you know these things are almost in the dna of nation
0: it's interesting of course a lot of americans would get mad at that and they say how dare you you know this is a, it was our destiny it was our manifest destiny that we take this continent and we did a lot of good with it uh, although ironically of course whenever you talk about the good that America did it's always liberal policies uh, like you know the Marshall Plan and uh, it, it, and whenever we went to go save anyone right not through invasion necessarily but etc. but it's conservatives who make that argument uh, overall how does that balance come out in your opinion uh, so Has America done more harm, more good for the world? Is that a nonsense uh, conversation to begin with, Uh, or or can that be evaluated?
1: Jenk, I would refuse to allow them to set the terms for this debate. When they talk about America, what are they talking about? When America engages in wars, is that for the domestic population of America? Does some guy in Delaware? benefit from what happens in Iraq or in Syria or in Libya or in Panama or in the Ukraine or Are other interests being represented there? Sometimes I think, Jenk, that these concepts like nation are for us, for the peasants, but the people that are making all the money, they have their own flag, and it is the pound sign, the dollar sign, the euro. They leave that stuff to fools like us with our football teams and our patriotism and our passions. They don't behave like they have a nation, they behave like they have overheads and financial imperatives.
0: So that's an interesting question, too. How do you think that uh, the Powerful and the power structure make the decisions. Is it you know smoke-filled rooms where they get together and, and they have conversations? And it's as a, uh, a powerful title of one of the books uncovering the economic collapse of thirteen bankers. Is it like thirteen bankers that are in a room making these decisions, or is it the decision making more disseminated, more systematic and systemic? Um, what's your sense of how they push out those messages of? Be calm, you know, the America's great, everything we're doing is for your benefit, and I go back to watching football.
1: My I imagine that it's closer to the latter, mate. Like but um, I don't, we always assume there's smoke in those rooms, but uh, it would be better if there was smoke. Maybe that would alleviate some of the tension, solipsism and individualism if they were a little more vaporized and high. It might relax them. Um, no, I think it's um, they have a shared ideology, and that ideology is individualism and materialism. I don't imagine that too many meetings are required but we know meetings do take place we know that the Bilderberg group consistently meet to discuss policies to advance their agenda we know that organizations like the IMF and NATO are representing the interests of organizations that are less directly accountable and perhaps less tangible I suppose that I I make the assumption that Whatever's going on, someone's making money out of it. If no one's making money out of it, it probably wouldn't
0: happen. That's an excellent assumption. I don't think that assumption is going to get shaken anytime soon. All right, and then I guess finally, for my end, um, I'm curious what you think of Barack Obama. Uh, Obviously, a lot of people thought uh, he was going to be the savior and he was going to bring us change, partly because he had all those placards that said "change." Um, What do you think? Uh, How much has he delivered at and what's your analysis of it?
1: I try not to get optimistic about superficial suggestions. On a personal charismatic level, I think Barack Obama seemed like a really lovely man. He sort of spoke differently from other politicians, but I think it's impossible for the system that we currently have to provide us with real change. The system prevents it. The system prevents it. The system will filter out any individuals that would present any realistic change. That is the function of the system, to prevent the parameters stretching. The only way change can come is from outside of that system. As your great, one of your main men there, Thomas Jefferson, Said every rev- every generation should have a revolution.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, what do I know? But that's my best guess too. That that when they saw Barack Obama, he got a lot of funding because they realized, oh, this guy's cool. He's not going to really bring us any change. He's going to give a good face of change. Hey, look at that! It looks like we made some cosmetic change. But his mentor in the Senate was Joe Lieberman. He's going to do pretty much everything that the establishment is fairly comfortable with. And and hence we're going to keep on going in the same direction. I, I don't know. I be, I bet if you told Obama that that he would think that it was wildly unfair. Um, do you think that's uh... fair? And do you think he's wrong? Do you think he thinks to him, like that he's tricked himself into thinking that that he's brought some um, about some dramatic change?
1: I wonder what happens. Presumably he's a human being like any of us, and sort of loves his kids and loves his missus and all that stuff. But I all I can think. May, is that we have to focus on deconcentration of power. Any system that puts power in the hands of a few people, you know I mean financial power in 0.01% of the population for example, or the seven heirs to the Walmart fortune having as much money as the 185 million poorest Americans, that kind of concentration of power is corrupt and until that kind of concentration power is dissolved, and shared, then there is no freedom, and no individual within that system can present realistic change, because as I've said to you before, that corruption exists within human beings, so we have systems we need to encourage and implement systems that encourage change, fairness, justice, that prevent people rising to the top of the pyramid, because there's no pyramid to rise to the top of. And we have an ecological imperative, like no time in history, because we're rapidly burning up the planet's resources.
0: So, how do you disseminate that power then? How do you disperse it? Is it by partly dispersing the wealth? Uh, is there other ways of doing it?
1: Well, what I think is wherever possible, take away the incentives of profit. Wherever possible, take away the incentives of profit. And if uh, people, like, you know, I think this myth that our best and our brightest and our finest are only motivated by money and privilege and comfort. I don't necessarily think that that's true. I think if you need what I'm talking about is not some misty-eyed mythical sort of sweet hippiedom, I'm talking about ruthless pragmatism. We have a certain amount of resources, we have a certain amount of people, we have a certain amount of time before the planet expires. Let's get the resources to the people. Let's implement systems that distribute resources fairly. Don't have global trade agreements that mean certain organisations benefit hugely whilst others flounder in poverty. Don't have a system where $30 billion could resolve world hunger forever and that $30 billion isn't found in spite of the fact that every eight days 30 billion dollars is spent on arms that's just silly that's a silly thing for us to engage in so i would say i would say collectivization and cooperation decentralized and deconcentrated power that's what i would say take organizations and give them to the people that run them have McDonald's if you want McDonald's, but have McDonald's run democratically by the people that work in McDonald's. Have the money that's earned by McDonald's shared among the people that work in McDonald's. And the same for any organization. And any organization that contributes nothing, no nutrition, no benefit, only harm, get rid of those organizations
0: yeah and, and those are not crazy ideas in the sense that they're already done in a lot of ways like so Germany for example nearly half the board of every company is represented by the employees and the German economy is roaring so it's not like it doesn't work it does work uh, in America uh, we can get money out of politics you know we have Wolf back here uh, that's trying to do that and then and then you have free and fair elections and when we had that Ralph Nader beat Richard Nixon uh, so thoroughly ideologically And politically, that he got the EPA pass, and he got OSHA pass, and he got seatbelts in all the cars, and saved millions of lives. So, it is possible. Wow.
1: Yes, I think it's impossible and inevitable. Look how hard they work to prevent these things happening. Even you aren't allowed to be on MSNBC in case you propagate popular ideas. They work very hard to prevent it. They militarize police forces when there's any kind of uprising. They control absolutely all the resources that they can control. They control the media absolutely. The reason they work so hard is because change is inevitable. Real change is inevitable. Once the information reaches sufficient number of people, then it would just
0: happen. everybody I need you to subscribe to the YouTube channel called the trues T R E W S uh, I like how you said that uh, thank you that after you guys named it of course then you one wondered uh, whether you should have named it that boy don't I know your pain on that <laughs> but what I love about it is uh, how how honest you guys are about
1: it <laughs> my <made> bad choices. <laughs> Yeah, I think about a Rod Stewart song every time I think about you now, and that's the last thing you need me thinking.
0: (laughs) Of course, the song you're talking about is, Do You Think I'm Sexy?
1: That's right. That's (laughs) correct.
0: All right. Thank you so much, The answer is I do. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Right right back at you, brother. Right back at you.